when I think about, you know, more of the medical system, it's a much bigger challenge, of course, because our medical systems really function off the back of physicians overworking. Welcome to Therapist Expanded, where we start a mental health revolution by living our dreams fully and freely beyond industry conditioning and taking every client with us, because we'll only take them as far as we've gone. So join me, your host, Aaron Gibb, and my trailblazing guests and be revolutionary by expanding your mind and your life to your freest and fullest potential. Hello, Therapists Expanding, and welcome back to the show, or welcome if this is your first time listening. Today, I'm doing part two of a three-part series about the roots of healthcare overworking, and today I'm interviewing Dr. Megan Mello, MD, and we're really looking at how Megan is doing things differently and supporting other physicians. So I hope you enjoy this second part of that series and can see the connections of how this really comes together and relates to therapists. And in the show notes, you'll find a link to my Monday MyDevs email list. I hope you'll sign up and look for those weekly mindset shifting bite-sized emails to refer back to whenever you need to get realigned with your dreams. So without further ado, here is my interview with Megan Mello, MD. Okay, Megan, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Yes, thank you so much. I'm grateful to be here. Wonderful. So I'll start with the question, which is, tell us about yourself, your work, and your passions in the field. Yeah, so I'm a family medicine physician, and I've been in practice for going on 12 years now and was really struggling with my own burnout and my own ability to care for my patients. And I certainly noticed that in the other women that I cared for in my practice, but also in my colleagues. It seemed like a real struggle for everyone to be taking care of themselves. And yet no one was really having the conversations that needed to be had about boundaries and the way that we were doing our work, the way that we were putting others above ourselves. And so ultimately, I ended up leaving that practice and got training as a coach in order to be able to build some skills really around how do we have those conversations? How do we guide people towards being able to be more aware of how they are taking care of themselves and that, how that impacts the work they do, whether that's their professional work as a healthcare provider or their work at home as a parent or a caregiver of some kind. Um, and so that's really where uh, my passion lies is trying to help us figure out how do we love and take care of other people while also really nurturing and taking care of ourselves. Beautiful. To me, it's the only sustainable way. And you spoke about. A little bit, you alluded to, so correct me if I'm wrong, the culture. I am not as familiar with being a doctor because I'm a psychotherapist, but the culture in healthcare seems to be about this focus on constant exposure to suffering because that's Mm -hmm. the nature of the work mixed with the not really taking care of oneself because that's culturally normal. 
mm-hmm. kind of creates this very normal burnout that I think people don't realize when they enter the field. I think you're right. I think that, you know, when we go into healthcare, you know, in whatever, whatever profession we want to care for people, we want to relieve suffering. And in medical school and our residency training afterwards, there really is an intense sacrifice being made because you are not in control of your time, your schedule. Um, Sometimes we're stuck as students or residents, literally holding a retractor during a surgery for 12 hours. And we might not even be able to see what's going on. We may just be a, a hand that's holding on to something uh, you know, sort of in this this service mode, the hours limits have gotten better, but sometimes, you know, we're talking 24 to 30 hour shifts, uh, repeated days in a row, and it really takes a toll on not only your, your physical health and well-being in that moment, but it also creates the scenario where you think, well, I've done this before, I've gone really long stretches with really little sleep and not responding to my own needs. Look at all these people suffering. I'll just have to keep toughing it out so that I can relieve as much suffering as possible. Yeah. There was another guest I had on actually named Megan. (laughs) Her podcast will release before yours so people can hear it, but I will highlight it and send it to you as well when it comes out. She talks about the history of this, like where did this come from? And she's done um, quite a bit of research on history in medicine and mm. in healthcare. And she actually found the roots of this was in the 1700s. There was a medical student who suddenly could outperform everyone. Before that, residents were asked to really have kind of a normal, you know, normal schedule because we're human. And then this guy came up and he could do 30-hour shifts, no problem. And he was way ahead of everyone. And so the medical establishment at the time in England started shifting their perspective to think, well, if this guy can do it. So he then became a professor. So more indoctrination into that culture. And the thing that has been lost over history was that at 26, he died. He was a major cocaine addict. So not really surprising how he could outperform, but he died at 26. So what stayed in the culture, it seems, is the norms of overworking and these crazy hours, which you say are shrinking now, and I'm so glad to hear that. But what was lost through history was the whole cocaine addiction right. was what made that possible and that he died at 26. Yeah. But somehow that established practice has gotten its way through our our field. And I would say my experience is the closer you work to a doctor, actually, the more you're asked to be superhuman. That has been my experience. I would believe that. Um, I think that it's very easy, you know, when you're, when you're in that mindset of like, I know how hard I can push myself, that you start to slowly, often subconsciously believe that everyone else should be pushing themselves that hard too. And, and, and then we often find we're in this really this really negative cascade of judgment. There's judgment of self and wanting to push ourselves harder, but also expecting that everybody else should be doing the same. Yeah. As an overperformer myself, an overfunctioner, that I'm sort of a recovering overfunctioner, 
I ha- can speak to my own experience of feeling a sense of righteousness. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can get so much done. Why can't everyone else? And yet the cost has been great eventually. So I love that you say that, the real psychology of it, it becomes frustrating. It, it just becomes frustrating and leads to resentment, I believe, just being exposed to suffering all the time when inside some part of us is screaming out but we may or may not be able to listen to it. So you've done the courageous thing of not only listening to it in yourself, but now you're helping others to do that. Can you say more? Yeah. Um, as I said, I, you know, I observed this in other people. And I think when I was going through my own training, I, I observed a big difference in what I saw in my women faculty and my male faculty. And it it doesn't divide, of course, so cleanly along gender lines. But, you know, I perceived that my, especially my older male faculty members were much more just naturally boundaried. They, you know, would be exercising. Some of them would even go out and exercise in the middle of the day. Um, They would say no, they would they would just interact with people, whether it was patients or staff, in a very different way. Whereas more often the women faculty and teachers were, you know, really struggling more with those people-pleasing components and really feeling, you know, put upon. And I could see that leaking out as frustration and resentment, but I couldn't really understand because I, I hadn't experienced it from their side yet. But I think being able to observe that early in my training and then living through it myself, you know, really gave me this important perspective A part of it is us. There is a huge part that is the medical culture. And that is a big, big bucket of work to unpack. But part of it is that we've become so well-trained in over-functioning and people-pleasing and not setting boundaries that we keep doing that. And a person just cannot keep doing that on and on without having real suffering, without, you know, kind of stewing in resentment and trying to figure out why is everyone doing this to me Mm. when no one is really, you know, willfully often doing it to them, but they are not learning or not able to see those parts in themselves that are so well-conditioned to overfunction. Well, you said it very well. Nothing for me to add there. I feel like a mic drop maybe, but you know, that doesn't do well on audio. Thank you. So I find myself wanting to know then um, what, maybe two questions. And one of them I'm just giving you spontaneously. What I'd like to know is what does mental health revolution look like to you? But maybe also, what does allopathic medicine revolution mm. look like to you? They may overlap, they may be different. I think there is, there is overlap. Um, so let me speak to the mental health revolution first. You know, I think that a lot of the women, um, I primarily coach women physicians and physician assistants, and a lot of what they bring to our coaching conversations is this feeling of being behind in not having learned skills around navigating their own emotions, around setting boundaries, um, around questioning their own thoughts, especially when their thought cascade is very judgmental and very, 
um, you know, very much in that perfectionist over-functioning uh, mindset. And so when I think about mental health, um, you know, as a physician, of course, my brain wants to go to DSM criteria and medications and, you know, a certain, a certain sort of disease state model. But really, I think that all of us would really benefit as, you know, adults finding ourselves in this time in our life to really start engaging with understanding and allowing our emotions, with being able to process thoughts, and that can be done in 12 million different ways, but really to sort of wake up to that inner landscape and how our emotions impact our actions, how our thoughts impact our emotions, and really gain more clarity and skill around those areas. When I think about, you know, more of the medical system it's a much bigger challenge, of course, because our medical systems really function off the back of physicians overworking. Um, I was primarily a clinic, I should say I am primarily a clinic-based physician. And often in clinics, uh, you might have walk-in patients, you have, you know, not predetermined amounts of extra things that kind of come in sports physicals are coming up at this time of year and you know different kinds of paperwork flowing in and often it's sort of handed off to the physicians oh could you just uh we need this we need this we need this often with this sense of urgency and physicians are trained to respond to urgency even though this sports physical paperwork is not at all medically urgent, but we are conditioned to respond when somebody says that something is urgent. And so there's often this pressure to continue to perform and perform and perform. And people often are working quite late uh, into the evening, often having what's called pajama time, where we go home, we might, you know, eat dinner with our families or catch up on dinner afterwards you know, get kids to bed, kind of get everything settled and then hop back on our computers and, you know, spend hours finishing our, our chart notes and our inbox work and sort of all of those things. You know, that's just the outpatient sort of world, but it's such a common phenomenon where we're spending all this extra time doing things. The system benefits from us working in that way, from us feeling like we're really doing a high level of service and really taking care of suffering. So there's not a strong business case for them to make a change. It's a similar thing when we look at hospital systems, where hospital systems really benefit from packing in as many patients as possible and relying on the goodwill of the physician staff and the allied health professional staff and the nursing staff and all of those things, and often really at the expense of those individuals as human beings, right? We see that throughout the healthcare system, tremendous amounts of burnout. Um, I could go on and on about that for hours, but I think that there's so much that needs to change from the way that the business of healthcare is done in order to make real strides in terms of healthcare provider burnout. Mm -hmm. Following the money. Uh, and mm -hmm. it was really an interesting synchronicity because this week I was listening to 
Mike Michalowicz's book, Clockwork, the new revised mm. edition. And he gives an exceptional example of, for physicians where he agrees with you in different words about the business practices of, of healthcare must change because he met this woman who was a highly trained physician in this one specific area. And he said the numbers of how many there were in the U.S. It was quite small, but that she was telling him, I can't do this much longer. And actually all my counterparts can't. We get about 10 years. And he said, from a business perspective, that is crazy. Yeah. He really described that it was essentially like the quarterback also being the water boy. And that's what I hear you saying is that the the most important players, the most educated in the case of doctors in a hospital setting, the, the people that are the most irreplaceable should not be doing paperwork and, and leaving surgery to go and argue with an insurance company about why did I use more stitches is a ridiculous distribution of labor when you look at the turnover in healthcare that the most educated people um, are the ones that are the hardest to retain. That, that's just madness. So he was looking at it from the business perspective and gave a lot of suggestions that you know hospital organizations would benefit from probably in a very short time. But I think the reason is what you're speaking to is that what's challenging from my experience, is actually having people go, let's just do this very established thing differently. And I had mm -hmm. someone on, yeah, who works with healthcare organizations in this way to say, hey, this isn't working. Um, let's try this. And when she said, but how do we get them to do that? I thought, we look outside of North America, for example. We look outside of what's being done in our regional area because Google is amazing. You can go out and Google someone who's doing anything you think is impossible. Um, go to Finland. Look at what they're doing with their healthcare. Even looking at the comparison in North America, what we're doing in Canada is different. It's not necessarily better, but so it's this human it comes back to human thinking and innovation is what I'm hearing you're saying. We, but it's not easy to change a very entrenched system mm -hmm. where you're. I never thought of it that way as acute kind of an acute need seems to present itself with urgency that is exactly what you've been trained to do in, in a different context in a life-saving context but our brains aren't great at distinguishing this paperwork that someone came with that same energy of stress and urgency yeah yeah well and and there can even be suffering there too that presents itself because um, you know, often what I would encounter, you know, in the sports physical um, sort of scenario, you know, here's a very stressed mom who just wants to come and drop off this piece of paper and have it signed and take it because sports starts tomorrow. And we can all imagine, you know, those times in our lives when we're under, you know, time pressure that seems very, very urgent. And yet there isn't there isn't that, I mean, should the, should the doctor come out of the patient exam room where they're doing something else and spend the 10 minutes filling out this piece of paper and hand it back to the mom uh, so that she can drop it off? You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> there's not, but there's also this sense of, I don't want this mom to suffer, you know, disappointing the child and the team and whatever, whatever the scenario. So it gets very messy. Yeah. Um, and 
And I think that systems, they just know how to push those buttons. So it's kind of a simple example, but but it gets repeated over and over mm-hmm. in a variety of different flavors mm-hmm. um, and really contributes to the people-pleasing and lack of boundaries. And you spoke to a gender distinction there. The coach that I work with, my personal coach, she's very focused on our culture as a very codependent culture and women and people-pleasing. It comes up a lot. and. What's been fascinating to help me, and I I would hope if I could make a cultural change, it might be this. I'm doing it in the microcosm, trying in the macro, but you know, it's it's a bigger thing. It's about understanding that when we we come in and we help, or we feel we need to rescue, or we don't want to have other people feel those feelings, we're really robbing them of their own experience. And I remember she quoted another coach who said how dare we take that away from them? And I thought, yeah. And it was a transferable skill because with supervisees, in my one role of having clinical supervisees, I don't take those experiences away from them. I'll hold projections even just so that they have the experience of getting really upset with me and me remaining the loving container for that because it isn't about me. Mm -hmm. That is like a skill that I've developed with awareness and that I hear you saying falls within your awareness and what you're teaching is that that's not necessarily our role to take away suffering in that way. I don't know. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah. No, I, I think there's something, there's something to that. And, you know, again, I think it comes into this acculturation piece of, we feel like if there is suffering anywhere that we ought to relieve that. And, and, and that's certainly not unique to physicians. It's mm-hmm. certainly pervasive throughout uh, many issues that um, many scenarios. Um, but you're right when we are, it, and that comes up in parenting as mm-hmm. well. You know, how often are we robbing our children of the experience of the discomfort of, you know, failing to turn in their homework or failing a test or not, you know, winning a soccer game or whatever that looks like. And we're not giving them the skills to be able to navigate failure. Uh, And I think that that pops up a lot. And it's something that we have to, you know, put into the, you know, part of the rationale for making these changes. Because of course, when we are going to practice not relieving everyone's suffering, not trying to take it from them, we are going to have discomfort. We are going to have to, you know, sit in the space of being willing to disappoint somebody for their benefit, for allowing them to have that experience, but also for allowing it to be part of the way we learn to take care of ourselves. And often, you know, with my clients who are often, you know, in various levels of burnout when they come to me, there's a real difficulty with being able to accept and tolerate that discomfort. It is, it is a challenge. And I think we have to acknowledge that it is difficult to do that kind of work where you're really sitting in that space and you're starting to explore it, especially if you've been somebody who has been inclined to shove the feelings down, to you know, eat or drink them away, uh, you know, to use any kind of numbing. Um, that you would do like scrolling on our phones and (laughs) doing all of those kinds of distractions. If you have to face the discomfort of disappointing people, there's some, there's some real 
feelings that go along with that. Absolutely. There is a reason that we're doing these things. Yeah. And it, it sounds like simple solutions to me on the business level. It's sort of a duh, but the ret, like with the, having the quarterback deliver, you know, the water. Mm-hmm. And I see that with physicians, but I think that the underlying, what we're talking about, this kind of behavior of rescuing is absolutely that it's more complex because it is so painful to sit back and not do that. And it's often rooted in survival in that, especially I think girls are conditioned to be nice instead of be safe and to really learn to use empathy for survival and to predict and then react so that we don't get rejected and punished. Um, So it's a bigger issue there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And I think it's, it's important to realize that too, of there can be a sense of, of not being safe when you're trying to do that work and that, you know, if we encounter that and we aren't really kind of aware that we are going to bump into that when we don't have guidance around it, that will stop us because it feels unsafe. It It's most likely not unsafe, you know, outside of a few very, you know, particular circumstances, most of the time it is completely safe to disappoint people you know, in wherever, whatever setting that looks like. But if you were brought up to believe that your role is to serve other humans and your role is to make nice and, you know, to go along with what other people are saying and thinking and wanting, uh, and you, you come across that feeling of this is not safe because people are upset with me because I'm not, I'm not getting that external validation we have to also sort of confront that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where, you know, I think working with a coach or a therapist or, you know, any number of other settings where you can get that support can be really, really important because it often goes way deeper than we would like to think. Yes. Beautiful. Well said. So that leads me to wonder, my next question is, when have you really taken a risk and gone after a dream or desire, uh, I'm going to add another part, likely against your own conditioning. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So I think the biggest example that comes to mind, um, in August of 2020, I, I encountered a scenario. So this was when I was still with my primary care practice. I was an employed physician. And I, I made the decision that what I was doing and where I was, was no longer right for me. And at that time, I decided that getting an additional board certification would be the way that I would get out of this primary care world. I would go and get this, and then that would sort of prove myself worthy enough to step out. And so I did do that. And I passed that certification in February of 21. and. I put in my resignation and I needed to put in 90 days notice. And so I put in that resignation and in between that and my actual leaving date, I encountered a coaching group for women physicians that was really focused around this thought, feeling, action work. And it really, really uh, just sat with me. And I felt like the lights came on. I felt like I had this new permission to be able to really tune in to 
you know, how my behaviors were affected by my emotions, how my thoughts were influencing my feelings. And it really changed something in me to the point where work was much more tolerable. I was much more comfortable setting boundaries. And then I had to wrestle, like, do I really want to leave? Do I want to leave the safety of this employed position where, um, you know, I had my practice that I had been with for 11 years at that time. And I decided that I did want to leave, even, even though it was really scary to face the idea of not being employed, um, not keeping up with this identity that I'd had for a number of years that I'd worked for 10 years before, <laughs> before getting to that. And so I did leave and I did go and get a coaching certification, which um, felt very strange to do. And, and I opened a business coaching physicians and healthcare professionals in issues around burnout. And I've had to pick up a whole lot of skills that I never had. We don't learn business skills in medical school. I never thought I would have my own business. Um, and and so that's been a part of my journey. And now I'm in this space where I'm trying to figure out the balance of medical work and coaching work and how to really create you know, a thriving life that allows me to be wholehearted, but also allows me to do work that I find meaningful and enjoy. So all of that felt like a big risk beforehand, feels like a big risk now. And yet I'm so aligned with the idea of creating something that allows me to serve, but also allows me to take care of myself and creating spaces for other healthcare providers to be able to start this process for themselves as well. So um, did, I, did I get all of the parts of oh, your yeah, question? Yeah, you there? did. Yeah. And I would even say you kind of answered the other question about holding yourself back, not because you did hold yourself back, but because you t- you really showed the what the process is like in that deciding. You definitely answered my question and then some. I wonder if there is an answer that you have in your life of where you can see you still have a new threshold of where you would like to go. You're currently maybe not there yet, but you can see that there's mm-hmm. a new place you're going to go after your dreams and desires. Yeah, that's something I've I've been wrestling with, certainly. Um, I think that when I initially got my coaching certification, um, I I was envisioning this life where, okay, I'm going to work as a coach. And, and yet I still had this tug of, well, I also still want to be involved with medicine and trying to figure it out. And it's really only in these last few months that I've been looking at different opportunities that would really allow me to thrive doing both. Mm. Because I, I was in this mindset of thinking either I can be a great coach and supplement that with a little bit of medical work on the side, or I could be a great physician and, you know, let this coaching work sort of, you know, piddle and (laughs) um, not really be able to market it because I couldn't imagine doing both. Um, And part of that was me being stuck thinking that, my medical work needed to look the way that it worked, looked before. Um, so now I'm, I'm really sort of doing that mindset piece around, well, 
why can't I have both? Why can't I be building and designing and making decisions for myself about how I want that to look? And it's not to say that it's magically easy. It, it, it takes, you know, really sort of thinking and, and looking for opportunities. Uh, but I'm, I'm seeing it crystallize more clearly now. Beautiful. And I think you're part of a movement in looking for those medical opportunities that are not about some of the things we've talked about. You don't have to kind of work yourself to death and that there is a difference. There is a change happening where people are job sharing. These are just examples I know Mm -hmm. about. You probably know many more, but that there, there is a way to go outside of the conditioning. And so anytime we do that, I think it's, we need to do our mindset work. It's like Mm -hmm. we can straddle the line. It's so incredibly easy to go back to our conditioning because it takes zero effort. It's, it's all very well programmed. And so to see that you are one of the maverick trailblazer physicians who are really looking at it differently, I think that's refreshing. And I'm glad that you've been able to come on today and tell us about that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I am also lucky to be in a, in a coaching group for women physician entrepreneurs and being able to see really remarkable women trying new and different things. And often it's because they came up against the same kinds of limits and the same kinds of challenges. And they are risking uh, a lot, but building practices and, and trying, you know, to care for people in new ways. And it's really inspiring and remarkable. And I, I can't wait to see, you know, where we are even a few years from now in terms of, you know, kind of the innovations that are coming out in the ways that we can care for people when we start to let go of these traditional models. And not necessarily dropping insurance altogether, although that is being done in some in Mm -hmm. some arenas, certainly. But just really trying to be innovative um, and more aligned with with what people are wanting in terms of their health care. Absolutely. And with why most of us got into taking care of anyone, ultimately, mm-hmm. you know, there is that way to me. And it's one of the beautiful ways. So I was saying earlier, there's the Google way that you can always just Google and say, somebody out there's got to be doing this. Let's just see. Actually, I don't actually think they are, but I'm going to Google and then your mindset can shift. Doesn't mean you're not absolutely terrified to go after it. But that is the other way is to go into coaching or go into courses, go into masterminds where you're going to meet the people who are doing the thing that you feel is impossible. And not only when you Google, you're like, okay, cool, that helps. But when you can talk to someone and see what they're doing and be in loving relationship with them where they want to help you understand that like, yeah, you can do this. Here's a few tips. And to see the messy bits. I mean, that's Mm. the tremendous part about being in those kinds of groups where, you know, when we Google, we can see all the pretty parts, right? We can see the beautiful website or the podcast, you know, kind of how their clinic is set up, but we don't see the nitty gritty. We don't see the work that went in. We don't see the failures that happened or that they had to, you know, hire and fire, you know, people multiple times in order to find you know, kind of the right mix of people and train them the right way. And um, being able to 
yeah, be a part of a community where people feel comfortable sharing their successes and their failures. You know, sharing their successes from a really trying to practice uh, gratitude for their for themselves, but also being willing to share. I'm really struggling because I can't figure this out, and leaning into the community for that support. Um, I think it, it, it's again another area in medicine, in particular where we do not talk about failures in that way. We do not we do not celebrate our successes in that way. And so it's really it's really quite dynamic and inspiring to be part of these groups. Beautiful. Because we ask ourselves the questions of what are our visions and what are we wanting over and over. It isn't the one time we ask we deal with the conditioning or we don't, we overcome and then boom, it's great. Yes. The reality is more like we are asking ourselves the deeper questions and how does this new hire align with my true vision and that I want to delegate, not decide, for example, that is an ongoing dynamic process. And so the messy bits, uh, yeah, Google is a stepping stone, but a group, a mastermind, a coach, that is where the rubber meets the road and where we feel normal that it's messy and held. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. I have so appreciated your time and your wisdom. And I mean that word wisdom because we can all have knowledge, but like wisdom is the practice of doing this. So I sincerely appreciate your time. Oh, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. I'm sure we could talk on and on um, because there's so much here to unpack. But I really appreciate being a guest on your show today. Oh, yes. And I would love for you to tell people where they can find you. So the easiest way to learn more about me and my coaching practice is to go to www.healthierforgood.com. And people can also follow me on Instagram. I'm uh, Megan Mello, uh, MD. Uh, last name is M-E-L-O. And uh, I'm also on Facebook as Megan Mello. Beautiful. And I will link to all that in the show notes. Great. Thank you, Thank you so much for having me today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Therapist Expanded. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast to help more of our colleagues join the revolution. 